though he is eternal, though he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and though one day in the dispensation of the fullness of times all things shall be gathered together in one in him, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, this world beheld our Lord Jesus for a very short time, little more than 33 years, and now it sees him no more. Oh yes, you can look at pictures of him, renditions wrought from the minds of mankind as to how he may have appeared, his outward form, but the world only saw and continues to only see him with the outward eye and after the outworking of the natural mind. When the clouds received him and concealed him from natural vision, this spiritually blind world lost sight of him altogether. When he was here walking amongst men, the world saw him in a certain sense, but yet in truth it did not see him at all. The world's eye, if you will, saw the outside of Christ, the flesh of the incarnate Christ, but the true Christ the unrighteous eye could not discern. The world saw the man, but not the word. It saw the man, but not God. It saw the outward garment, the flesh, but not the divinity which it was clad therewith. Those who followed the ways of the world, or who worshipped the mechanics of man's religion, could not, nor still cannot, perceive those wonderful attributes of his character, those divine graces and the holy mysteries which are the true spiritual Christ. When he walked amongst us, they saw but the husk, and not the core, the essence, the kernel, that true life within. They perceived nothing more than the outside shell of the oyster without even recognizing the pearl that was contained within. They acknowledged but the external man, for the actual spiritual Christ they could not see. But unto a few, Christ manifested himself as he did not unto the world. It was the eve of Christ's departure. His great public ministry had ended, and in the quiet circle of his chosen few, Jesus was explaining the spiritual significance of the Jewish festival, of Passover, that which was symbolic of his own sacrificial death, unveiling the true relationship that he and the Father, through the Holy Spirit, communicate to those who are truly his, disclosing these divine eternal verities there to those closest to him in this world, to those who were in the world, but not of it. The traitor, Judas Iscariot, had already left, removing himself from this faithful band of disciples, although in reality he had long since deserted in spirit. Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, this arena of material objects, which is all we've ever known, that he was to depart unto the Father, going by way of the cross for the world's redemption. He was about to depart, to leave those whom he loved, and it was this one thought that weighed so heavy upon the hearts of those who had forsaken all to follow him. To go away, and why, they but dimly if at all comprehended, although he had often spoken of how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be raised again on the third day. They only knew that his leaving would be unbearable, having spent the last three years of their lives with him, listening to him speak, observing the various manifestations of his compassionate heart, 
watching him pray to the Father, more and more realizing that he was different than anyone they had ever known, becoming aware of his being their Messiah. They did not understand that it was necessary that he leave, be separated from them in the manner they had always known him before, and that his bodily absence was essential for them to receive his spiritual presence. That truth, however, was not only to be for the disciples, but is also the foundation stone for all who have believed on him through their word. In the midst of this intimate scene whereby the Lord was revealing the spiritual relationship which exists between the believer and himself, the question of our text arises. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? The answer to that question is one we need to seriously reflect upon. For it is the fundamental bedrock mainstay of our testimony if we believe ourselves to be Christians. How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? We're not speaking of a manifestation of God to the bodily senses, for that would be but a faint representation, an image, for God is spirit. Not a manifestation of God's eternal power either, his creative wonders, for that would lead us eventually towards idolatry and superstition. It's not an intellectual revelation to our mental faculties, to reason, but rather a manifestation to the inner consciousness of a loving, purified heart. For we are told, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. For we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is why no intellectual argument can be formed which will convince he who has not received the spirit of his existence and the relationship he has with him. If one is destitute of the sense of smell, try as you may, you cannot communicate by words the reality of fragrance. If one is blind, you cannot explain to them the nuances of color, of shading, of different hues of light and dark. To the deaf, there is not available a means by which they can be enlightened as to the subtleties of sound of a rhapsody, of melody, of bass and treble. These are all realities, but they cannot be communicated to those who have no means to receive them, and such is the plight of trying to explain to the natural man the things of the Spirit. Christ was manifest in the flesh, came into this world, yet the world comprehended him not. Neither the world nor the disciples understood God when he was manifested in flesh. He was amongst us teaching and performing miracles. Never man spoke as he spoke. He taught with an authority that none other has ever exhibited. The wonderful works which he did were revelations of himself, just as his words declared him to be the Son of God with power. But to what effect? The Pharisees and the Sadducees gathered around him to tempt him, desiring of him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Philip, so long time with him, there in the very presence of him as he was shrouded by his human form, said, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Were he here amongst us again, in bodily form, it would be no different. It is not God's design to adulterate the spiritual kingdom to our natural life, but rather to lift us up out of our lowly condition to the realm of his spiritual kingdom.
For when there is a sense of the divine presence among you, it is more real than a sense of the presence of any human being. Christ is more really present than if you could touch him or hear his loving human voice. There is such a presence of Christ, of unspeakable joy, not to the body, but to the spirit, a presence of cherishing, inspiration, enlightenment that forms a familiarity more intimate, more sweet, more enduring than that of any earthly relationship, be it friend, father, son, mother, child, or spouse. The eyes that are clouded with worldliness cannot see God. The ear will not recognize his voice amidst all of earth's Babylonian noise, always alluring one away from God and into fleeting worldly cares. Our mind must be renewed before we can even see the kingdom of God. His kingdom is supernatural, and it demands a supernatural birth and a supernatural life to partake of it. You must abide in him, and the intensity and fervor of that abiding, that communing, will increase the more you abandon yourself to it. The more you know of Christ, the more you will long to know. The manifestation of Christ's presence will be felt and a peace enjoyed, a peace peculiar to those who are in him and he in them, a peace not as the world giveth, shall he give unto you. This is what Christ was telling his disciples in the upper room, and what we must learn, we must grab a hold of, that the very withdrawal of the earthly manifestation of Christ, that which has served its purpose in each one of our lives, must be laid aside as an impediment rather than as a help to experiencing full communion with him. I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The presence of Christ though invisible to sense, is fully apprehended by faith through the Holy Spirit. We can have Christ with each of us more closely, more truly, and in a more available fashion, a present Christ with more unity than they had who were nearest him during the days that he lived upon earth. This is what he was telling his disciples, and this is what he is telling you and me. We live by faith, and it is far better than the sight of the senses. Your eye does not touch what you look at. There may be miles between you and what you perceive, but faith not only sees that which is invisible, but it also grasps it, takes hold of it, and is at one with it. The world seeth me no more. Ah, there will be that day, though, when he returns, when every eye shall see him, but then it shall be too late. Rather, the more we turn away from looking at the deceitful lies with which time and the material universe fool and bewilder us, the more shall we see and know him as he truly is.